Hello and welcome to another episode of Doom to Bloom podcast. Today we have a special guest, Jasmine, who is a sobriety coach now and is going to speak on her former addiction and her now recovery journey, as well as the work she does to help others. Hi, Jasmine. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Good. And just before we get started, I'd like to ask my guest where they are guesting from. Uh, can you repeat the question? I always like to ask my guest where they're guesting from. So are you in the States or the UK or? Oh, I'm from the United, United States. Okay. I just find it really cool that at a click of a button, I can connect with pretty much anybody. Awesome. So I already alluded to the topic that you're going to talk to us about. So we're ready to hear your experience when you're ready to share, Jasmine. All right. So pretty much I am uh, a recovery addict. I went through my own journey. The addiction I went through is kind of, I guess you can consider it unique or not well known to be openly be talked about, which is the type of addiction. I specifically suffered in the no flap. No flap is pretty much what the youth calls it as was regarding um, the porn sex masturbation. Uh, so pretty much the no flap has their own movement, um, which is it used to be known for the men who are using their private parts um, for porn. When it comes to sex, it has to do with escorts, masturbation, you know, voluntary, involuntary things. Uh, but nowadays it's also well known with ladies too, because ladies are also human beings. Uh, but there is a stigma still in the society The women don't really talk about these things openly if they're suffering from it or something's preventing them to actually get the help they need. But nowadays, the no-flap movement is open for everyone. Um, but for me, I mainly like to use the no-flap. Um, like I work with no-flap addicts uh, because, like I mentioned, is well-known with the youth. And from my own personal experience, um, youth normally suffer in this, but adults do. Um, but for me, I, as we know, addiction mainly happens not um, overnight. It happens through years, and it mainly has to do with their childhood years, like what happened, what very traumatic events happened to them in life. Uh, that Im- influenced them to develop the addiction. So for me, I came from a very dysfunctional family. Uh, I never received the proper help at a very young age. So as through, I was going through the human lifespan into my adult self, I discovered I developed an addiction, the taboo addiction, and I was struggling how to overcome it. Eventually, I found a United Kingdom company, which I'm currently working as a freelance coach. And they taught me the ins and outs how to overcome my addiction. But the problem was that they didn't really talk too much about the trauma. Um, So besides working with them as a member, as a recovery member, I also had to work myself outside of the program and I discovered Reiki was one of the things that helped me uh, to understand that I had a lot of stress. I couldn't think clearly. 
are basically how to manifest my own goals or my own life. And through Reiki also uh, like gave me other opportunities to be exposed to other holistic therapies. So from me as my own personal experience of the journey overcoming my addiction, energy healing helped me a lot. And then also incorporating seeing uh, a long-term holistic alternative doctor. So for me, the first exposure I had was seeing an Aveda doctor, but later on I tried other specialists. But the whole idea is basically the way to overcome an addiction uh, has to do with your physical aspect, your mental, emotional, and spiritual aspects as well. And so pretty much um, through my own recovery journey, this is what I learned that helped me a lot. And I am trying like pretty much this year, I've been trying to be very serious to do my own private coaching and to share my knowledge, which my whole mission, you could say, is that I'm trying to spread awareness about positive psychology and energy psychology, because I believe these two things can help any type of person, no matter what type of addiction they're suffering from, um, if they use these two type of branches, they totally can learn about who they are as an individual, release the past baggage, understand the now moment, and how to manifest their future life. And so can we take a couple steps back and talk about why there's the stigma and why those are kind of taboo addictions? Yeah, so pretty much um, for females, the society knows that with the taboo addiction, it is well known with the men because the men are well known into this area. They're much more open to it. But compared to the lady, it's not. The society thinks, oh, ladies don't bring over this area. The ladies doesn't have the right to speak about these things, only the men. But again, like I mentioned before, women are also human beings. They're not some alien or some foreign creature. Uh, they do suffer the same thing as the men do. Um, also, certain communities. So my background is that I come from a Muslim background. So the community in the Muslim is that, again, with, when it comes to the ladies, it is like, kind of taboo or stigma that ladies should not go and ask for help if they're suffering in this type of a taboo addiction. But the reality is that this stigma needs to break out and they, the woman, no matter what type of, of woman is coming from any type of communities, women should always advocate for their right and to seek the help they actually need. Because again, there's no differences between the men and the women. We're both are human beings and we can suffer the same thing. Do you have any ideas how to break that stigma, especially for the females? Um, what I think through my own personal experience and my academic background, because I graduated with a Bachelor of Science in Psychology Concentration and Addictions, the way to break the stigma or spread awareness regarding the women who are suffering this type of taboo addiction is try to educate each communities and to spread awareness. Just like you want to spread awareness regarding like alcohol, drugs, you have to start with the community. 
try to find some people who are specialists in the area, like an addiction case manager or some type of agency, um, create like fundraisers, anything like this, create flyers, and then create like workshops or any type of programs where you can try to start with the adults. Because like I mentioned, and I'm pretty, pretty much you may know as well, no matter what type of addiction a person may have, we know that youth suffer a lot with any type of addiction. So if we want to say we want to focus our target on the youth, we should start with the parents. Uh, we should try to, again, it has to start with the community. We can start creating flyers, brochures, whatever it is, to make the family and the community understand that if they have somebody who is a son, a daughter, a relative, they are young, they're suffering any type of addiction, or there could be some signs that showing they're suffering any type of addiction, there are information available out there for the adults to understand what they can do to help this particular young individual in their life. And from there, as long the family or the parents, caregivers are very open to it, that will help and try to influence the young individual to know that there are reliable resources out there and they should not hesitate uh, to advocate or reach out to the resources to understand the ins and outs on how to live a long-term sobriety. Is there a lot of resources available? I also, as you probably know, I work in the field of social services and work primarily with mental health and addiction, but I have never heard of any resources relating to these addictions. The only resources that I'm aware of is more for substances or, or alcohol. Yeah, that's correct. Um, like I mentioned, I did study different types of addictions. And yeah, any type of addictions is like you want to spread awareness, you should start with the community and especially with the parents as well. But when it comes to this particular taboo addiction, the porn sex and masturbation, it is kind of still new. And there are some people, they have different interpretation regarding it. Uh, meaning some people think that it's totally normal to have addiction to pornography, masturbation, or even have sexual uh, behaviors. But there's another group of people, um, particularly those who really study neuroscience and they study really like accurate information, then when it comes to these type of taboo addiction, it literally will damage or destroy your life. And so the way to overcome it, um, yeah, there's not really like a lot of workshops or a lot of resources available out there. But a person can try to search online looking for support or network group services or find like any recovery coaches who actually specialize in this type of area. Uh, so like I mentioned regarding to my personal journey, it, it, through my own personal journey, I did struggle a lot finding the proper resources but I ended up reaching to a United Kingdom, not from United States, um, to get the help that I actually needed at that time. And it was very, very difficult. And it was not a very easy journey for me 
uh, define the United Kingdom company uh, to understand this particular addiction. So that's pretty much my recommendation is just try to find like support network groups uh, who specialize or know the ins and outs. NoFlap, they have their own website. Anybody can utilize their website, but their ideas is going to kind of be differ. Um, for example, the NoFlap movement, among them, they say that a person can abstain from their addiction for 90 days. And they say that if you abstain from your addiction for 90 days, you don't need to worry about your addiction in the future. But if a person from an academic background, they understand what addiction is, is that 90 days is great, fantastic. You created your first milestone, 90 days, awesome, three months. But you need to still worry about it in the future because addiction can come back again into one's life um, if they're not very careful of what are the triggers or they didn't create like a very balanced lifestyle where they're focused on the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual aspects. And so can you touch on how this, I guess, becomes an addiction for some people? Yeah. So any type of addiction, it just mainly stems to the child. So for me, when I'm working with clients and through my own personal journey, inner child therapy helped me a lot. I was seeing a spiritual intuitive counselor. She wasn't a licensed counselor, but a consultant, like a coach, but she had a master's degree and family and marriage uh, degree. Um, but inner child therapy helped a lot to me and what I'm offering to my current clients as well. Because, like I mentioned, addiction doesn't happen overnight. Like, no matter what type of addiction you have, um, it can happen through years. Like, a person may not subconsciously be aware of it, but at a certain duration of their lifespan, all of a sudden, one day, they may have a craving desire, um, maybe to reach out to that alcohol, to that beer, to drugs, or watching pornography, uh, masturbating. So it's pretty much depending on how the childhood, what the person experienced can really be traumatic. And since we use 95% of our subconscious mind every single day, uh, which is like a file cabinet, what the child sees, hears, experience, if you don't receive the power support at that timing, it can really impact it in the future self. And then in the addiction may pop out at any time, at any place. Is there any scientific background as to why someone might end up with a, a porn, sex, or masturbation addiction versus substances or gambling or any other addictions? So I wouldn't say all the addiction are like very different from one another because the definition of addiction is like somebody is physically depending on a thing to help them to function day to day. The way a person can identify that, let's say, they, so for example, there are two groups. Um, some group people say that it's okay for a person to drink, um, as an example, alcohol once in a while. It wouldn't chemically impact a person's brain. But the other group, 
it kind of differentiates even a tiny bit of alcohol can um, cause toxins in one's body. And normally these neuroscientists who are in this agreement are pretty much not from the mainstream media. They have their own studies on how they do it. Um, but for any type of addiction, um, the first, if it's something impacting them every single day and they're seeing horrible or experiencing very negative events. So let's say they're constantly drinking or masturbating every single day or uh, for me the latter I kind of agree you shouldn't do any type of addiction um, at all like I've seen from it completely just don't go back to it because like addiction can become a problem if it's in fact impacting one's health career finance their mental emotional state where they're seeing very negative events like family problems, friends problems, romantic relationships and whatnot. So the way I would advise somebody is pretty much um, evaluate who you are as an individual, see if these type of substances or the taboo addiction is really impacting your life very, very badly. And if it is, is there something you can do to change it? I guess my question is more around how somebody can develop an addiction to one thing versus another. Like if somebody experienced, say you and I both experienced the exact same childhood traumas and we both ended up with addiction, how does, say, how do I end up with a porn sex masturbation addiction but you end up maybe with alcoholism? Well, but we experience um, the same things. How does that play into it? Or is there more like childhood trauma relating to sexual things happening to them that leads them into this pathway? Uh, so for me, from my own academic, um, I don't really see there's any difference because it's pretty much depending on who you are as an individual because um, addiction when a person is trying to use substance abuse or the taboo addiction, they're just filling in that void of insecurity, the love, the care, whatnot they didn't receive from their own parents or caregivers. So from my point of view, I don't differentiate anything uh, with any of these type of addictions. Hmm. Interesting. I... I guess I just get confused and maybe assume, which I shouldn't, that there's certain traumas or things that happen that trigger somebody to lean more towards sex or more towards drugs or more towards alcohol than just the others. Uh, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, like, the... I guess you can say like the sexual assault or sexual harassment can play a part to a person develop that taboo addiction. Um, but again, it can also uh, correlate to one's environment, how they grew up. And then same thing with substance abuse from my own academic background too. Um, it mainly has to do with the family too. So like if um, a child saw their father 
or their mother or maybe both of them they really are like alcoholic or into drugs it may influence the child uh, to do the same thing but it's not like i want to say 110 percent accurate all the time uh, because you can have somebody they came from a very i guess a dysfunctional family or that is well known and their lineage of generation of this particular family that they may have developed different type of addictions but maybe one person in the family may not be very easily influenced so i think it just depends on the child or that person as an individual if that makes sense it does and what are some examples if you're comfortable to share of how porn, sex, and masturbation addiction will, I guess, the negative consequences. Or are they very similar to drugs, alcohol consequences? Pretty much the same because any type of addiction, uh, it, like, I mean, you can abstain from any type of addiction as long you start within yourself, heal yourself. You can't just rely on anybody to do the work for you. It doesn't work that way. Um, but yeah, if you're struggling with drugs, uh, alcohol, um, the taboo addiction, uh, if you're doing it all the time, like I mentioned before, uh, it can cause a lot of problems. Uh, but like I mentioned, for my own point of view, if anybody's suffering any type of addiction, I just feel like you should, I didn't touch on this, but I think it's a very good idea to create milestones. Uh, so for example, let's start with the 90 days as an example. Awesome, great. And as we know, addiction can come back. So you have to continue uh, challenging yourself. So you completed 90 days, can you do another month? If you, a person did that, great, and keep doing that, keep doing that, keep doing that. Because um, my understanding is that if a person is challenging yourself and staying, like creating new milestones and maintain a longer superiority, they have a chance to understand who they are, what do you want to do, and how to create their future self. And so you you talk about, and maybe I'm getting this confused, but you talk about abstinence as part of sobriety, which I totally understand. But I, I guess my confusion is when there's substance or alcohol involved, abstinence just means, you know, you don't use that substance or you don't drink the alcohol. But when it comes to porn, sex, or masturbation... Are you still suggesting abstinence for that? Or what does that look like? Yeah, so I know the word abstinence can mean different things. So for me, for both. So the substance abuse and the uh, taboo addiction. Yeah, what I mean by um, abstinence means refrain from it completely. So with the substance abuse, yeah, I, I kind of follow the neuroscientists who are not in the mainstream media. Um, that if you drink alcohol, even a small sip of it, because they literally show, I don't know, because like, I follow um, Andrew Herberman and Dr. Amen too. They're both uh, well-known neuroscientists. Um, and they show like some evidence that if you drink 
even one sip of alcohol that can easily create toxin in one's body. So regarding the substance use, uh, abstaining means don't utilize it at all. Uh, if a person is in the beginning stages of the recovery, and let's say they're drinking three beers every single day, then I would try to help them or advise them to cut back a little to the point where they can eliminate that beer out of their diet completely and just live like a long-term sobriety. When it comes to taboo addiction, you can say it can be the same thing. So like, let's say a person is masturbating every single day. Um, I would need to dive in a bit deeper with them to understand how many times do they actually masturbate? Is there a particular timing? Um, is there a way they can reduce it to the point they can abstain from it completely? Now, um, since uh, the taboo addiction correlates to the porn or sexual uh, destructive behaviors on masturbating, some people, based on their belief system or from the religion upbringing they have, it may be a very sin in their religion to do it. So like viewing pornography, some people consider it as a sin. Masturbating could be considered as a sin. When it comes to sexual destructive behaviors, we need to understand how a person can develop like healthier sexual behaviors if they are in some type of relationship, if that makes sense. It does. And then when somebody, for example, that has these taboo addictions, or one of them anyways, what does that look like in terms of intimacy and dating again? So, um, so it pretty much goes back to the person belief system. So if they follow a particular religion, the pornography uh, masturbation is a sin. A person cannot do it um, like outside of marriage. Um, they have to change their intention. Like if they fully believe this is correct in their own point of view, which is their own belief system, which is known as the paradigm, they can do it and they can try to figure out the ways how to follow that belief system of theirs. Now, when it comes to sexual destructive behaviors, or if there is some type of relationship, they should, again, uh, for me personally, I like the idea of evaluating oneself. So if you can dive in and see who you are and see what's in front of you, um, that can help you a lot to see what you can do to maneuver the obstacles that you're currently facing in your relationship. And if there's something a person's not able to do with their own, I like to call it like self-healing techniques, like doing meditation, mindfulness. Um, like if you, a person is stuck, they really are lost, they don't know how to fix the relationship or is even possible to save the relationship, I think at that point, the person should reach out to a licensed counselor or to a coach who specializes in relationships. And so you've kind of already alluded to some of the treatment options, but what are other treatment options in terms of these taboo ones? Because I think it's very well known for 
for substances and alcohol and even gambling that there's there's kind of typical treatment or supports for that but what does that look like in terms of these taboo addictions so and when i started my journey i reached out to the uk company and the way they did the program is just like any um alcoholic programs or the 12-step programs so there's really nothing that different so in a nutshell um in the uk company that i'm still working for as a freelance coach um pretty much the very first step is basically you need to have some type of connection, meaning if you fall a particular faith, you believe in higher power of God, whoever you call it as, you need to have that in your belief system that you're just a human being. You cannot do everything on your own. So in other words, let go, let God. Then the next step is create a network or support group meaning reach out to like-minded individuals who are similar to you. So any type of addiction recovery programs, you may have to attend a weekly group meeting uh, and then you can listen to what the person or like, I guess you can call like the peer recovery specialist. I mean, each program has their own thing. They may not be like a peer recovery specialist. They may have some person who's the leader in charge of it, whatever it is but pretty much attend like a weekly group meeting. And then in the group, it can be anything. Like maybe uh, for the UK company I'm in, they normally would talk about the ebook they provide for every member to read and to participate in the group meeting and to share their points of views. And then maybe if any members is comfortable, they may ask a question if they're struggling in the recovery journey. And then the other things that the, I learned from the UK company is they do provide worksheets. You, a person can do the worksheets on themselves or they can work with a recovery coach who can guide them through the steps of the worksheets. And that's pretty much in a nutshell is like the ebook they provide, it pretty much summarize how to overcome one's addiction and if a person does the worksheets, it should also help them as well. They do provide uh, videos to dive in more about the worksheets. Um, but this is pretty much what I learned from the UK company. But like I mentioned, from my own experience, when I was a member, um, I it wasn't really enough because of the trauma, they didn't dive in too much with the trauma. So I had to work on myself outside the program and seek the support that I actually needed. So it's almost like a, I guess, kind of an interdisciplinary team where there's people that help you focus on the addiction and then other people that focus more on the trauma and other pieces that someone may need. Yeah, that's correct. And is there, this may be kind of a silly question maybe, but is there medication or medical supports that could also be provided? So again, for alcohol, I know that I can't pronounce the name of the medication, but there is a medication that helps with, you know, cravings and kind of reducing the urge. Is there anything similar to that and then also for drug substances there's also sublocate or methadone or suboxone is there anything 
similar to that for this area of addictions? For my knowledge, I have not encountered anything. Yeah. It's just what I understand is mainly has to do with the subconscious mind and neurology as well. Um, when, like, as in, when I was a member and also still working for the UK company, there are people who do suffer in the taboo addiction, but they may have added on other type of addiction like drugs, um, alcohol, whatnot. Uh, and so depending on what is the person case, they actually may need to see a mental health specialist or a psychiatrist. And depending on the evaluation, if they see uh, like a psychiatrist or like a, I prefer holistic alternative medicine doctor, because uh, they go down to the root of the problem, uh, they can tell whether the person actually needs some type of medication or not. So from what I'm understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, Jasmine, that there's no medication per se to support with the taboo addiction itself, but there's medication options if that taboo addiction is connected with other struggles or other addictions. Yeah, so like if a person is suffering from the taboo addiction alone, but they didn't grab like the addiction of alcohol or drugs, I really don't think there's any type of medication a person can take. Um, but like I mentioned, if a person does suffer from the taboo addiction, but they do have an issue with alcohol or drugs, yeah, they can take some type of medication uh, depending on the doctor who they're seeing if they actually need it or not. Mm -hmm. Is there any other areas that you don't think we've touched on about these taboo addictions just to bring more awareness? Um, no, I don't think there is nothing that I think we missed out. That's awesome. I think I, I learned a lot from you and again, I'm really happy that you did guest as well as talk about these topics because it's not talked about enough or really at all. I didn't know that there was, um, no fap. I didn't know that that was actually even a thing so I just wanted to thank you for being a guest and thank you for opening up the conversation around these taboo addictions as well um my pleasure is there any kind of final words of wisdom or support or encouragement that you would offer to anybody that might be struggling with these listening yeah so if anybody suffered from any type of addiction it doesn't have to be that, that taboo addiction always push yourself forward and understand there are available resources. I know with a taboo addiction, there's not much, but the least you can do is find support groups online, just Google it up. You can also join the No Flap Movement, which they have their own website. But if you feel like you need like a one-on-one, you can reach out to coaches um, as long as they have the qualifications, meaning it could be somebody like me. I, I'm, I don't have like a master's or a PhD, but I have a bachelor of science in psychology concentration addictions. On top of that, I have my own personal experience of overcoming this taboo addiction. So that's kind of what I recommend with the licensed mental health professionals, only utilize them 
if you feel there is a need, especially if you're suffering with different types of other addictions besides the taboo addiction. And do you feel comfortable, Jasmine, to share any of your platforms where listeners can get more information from you? Yeah, the one that comes to my mind is my website called jasminehealingyourlife.com. Um, if you're able, you can share with the audience the other social medias. I don't remember on top of my head at the moment. Okay, no, that's totally okay. So the other links will be in the show notes. And I just wanted again to thank you, Jasmine, for being a guest and bringing insight and awareness into these topics. And I look forward to continuing to watch you grow as a coach and develop more knowledge about this topic. Thank you so much. Thank you. And to you, Jasmine, and to the listeners, I'm sending you lots of love and lots of light.